Well, there's a big problem in places like New Zealand. It's really sad. There's not enough pastors, not enough church leaders. And, and it's not just New Zealand, by the way, that this problem exists. Uh, there, there's, there's too many that are quitting, not enough being uh, replaced. The statistics regarding pastors are not encouraging. In fact, I read that, that the uh, Francis Schaeffer Institute of Church Leadership Development actually reported that 35 to 40% of ministers last less than five years in the ministry. Many statistics show that 60 to 80% of those who enter the ministry will no longer be laboring in ministry 10 years later. So why are pastors quitting? Well, I did a lot of research on the Internet, sort of trying to find out why this is the case. Uh, let, me, let me give you a few reasons why. Now, this one I didn't find on the Internet, but I know for sure it is a problem, and it's a unique, one of the unique problems in Australia and New Zealand. It's called the tall poppy syndrome. You heard of that? Tall poppy syndrome, uh, at one point it was the... Uh, it was the Aussie word of the day, apparently. But anyway, here it is. It is a social phenomenon in which people of genuine merit are resented, attacked, cut down, or criticized because of their talents or achievements that elevate them above or distinguish them from their peers. I have friends who are no longer pastors because of that very reason. But there's other reasons. Uh, some of these uh, coming from places like Gospel Coalition website and other places I found all these. But uh, one of them is conflict. Another problem is conflict. Sadly, uh, conflict is something that happens in churches because we live in a fallen world. Pastors find there are, believe it or not, there, did you know there's hateful, petty, arrogant, rude, and discontented people in churches? Wow. Yeah. Discouragement's another problem. Pastors can labor for years in ministry and see very little fruit. And as a result, they can doubt. Yes, pastors can doubt. They can doubt their effectiveness. They start doubting their, their uh, God-given gifts. Sometimes some of them even doubt the calling of God upon their lives. Suffering is another issue, and, and this can come in all kinds of forms. So uh, don't just think persecution, but sometimes uh, there's a lot of pastors who suffer financial hardship, and there's lots of family trials that are related to ministry. So those are some ways pastors suffer, and burnout is a, another one. It may be the, the number one reason that pastors uh, give for why they left the ministry Loneliness is another issue. Did you know the pastorate can be a very lonely place? Everybody in the church knows the pastor, and for some pastors in small communities, everybody in the community knows them. Yet, no one knows the pastor in, in, in a way. Nobody, it's just, it's a, it's a strange thing, isn't it? And, and sadly, when that happens, ministry becomes a very lonely place and for some becomes deadly. But the one that is, um, well, these are all concerning to me, but the, the last one is this, is there's moral failure. And this often, the, 
the cause for pastors leaving the ministry. Uh, it's really sad to hear even some have denied the faith and call themselves atheists now. Big-name pastors of the last couple of years have done that very thing. We have a huge problem. Huge problem. Uh, it's not just a New Zealand problem. It's a worldwide thing. But uh, we, we have some answers here in our Bible that, that will be very helpful to us. So let's look at Hebrews 13, verse 17. Hebrews 13, verse 17 It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. As those who will have to give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. So here's a main idea for you to consider. That God has given you duties relating to your church leadership. Now there's a lot of assumptions and implications in uh, coming from this text. Number one, uh, God's assuming that you're a part of a local healthy church. There's too many people who claim to be Christians just floating around out there saying, well, I'm a part of the universal church. I'm really spiritual. No, you're not. The short answer is no, you're not. You're disobeying God, okay? Uh, You can't be spiritual and float around in the so-called universal church. It doesn't work that way. God's, God's assuming that you have leaders, you know who they are, and you're relating to them. But what, how, how do we relate? What, what are the duties? There's a lot of duties, but there's two mentioned in this text. Number one, submit to your pastor. God says, submit to your pastor. And there's actually two commands in this text. And, and may I just say, as we start looking at these commands, they're both present imperative verbs. So it's a continuous action, a continuous command, in other words, both of them something that you must do. It's not an option. You can't just say, well, I was hurt in this church, so I'm just going to hang out in the universal church over here where I don't have any leaders. I'm just my my own leader. This is something you have to do. So God says, number one, obey. Obey. And that, that word there just is mainly, by the way, speaking of receiving the teaching that's given by spiritual leaders. So you obey when you're agreeing with what the leader is telling you to do. And and hopefully the idea is you're persuaded by the teaching and the profitableness of that teaching. Warren Wiersbe said this, quote, When a servant of God is in the will of God, teaching the word of God, the people of God should submit and obey. That's so true. The second command is the word submit. The continuous command there is submit. And that's a little bit different. It's speaking of yielding to the proper authority that was established by God. It's kind of like the, the idea, it's the same idea of what a soldier does, whatever he ranks in the military. Uh, there's different rankings in the military, and of course, you know, the higher up you go, the, you know, the, the more authority you have, and so everybody underneath is supposed to be submitting to the authority above them. And it's the same in the church. There's 
God's design this submission to take place. There's a yielding. You're, you're giving up your rights, so to speak. And, and the idea of this one is you're, you're not convinced. Whereas in obedience, you are convinced of the teaching from the pastor. But this one is when there's a contrary opinion and you don't agree with the pastor. And God says, well, what do you do? God says, you submit. You submit. And so there's to be an obedience to these commands. These things, remember, are coming in this greater context of what kind of worship is God going to accept? Well, God says, offer him acceptable worship of obedience and submission to your leaders. (laughs) Have you ever thought of that as worship to God? That's what it is in the context. And I know some people really struggle with this. Uh, it, it's difficult to submit when your opinion is different from the leaders. It is. We all struggle with that because we all have to submit to someone or something. It's really difficult. So God gives you some reasons for your obedience and submission. Isn't he good? He gives us reasons for doing this. I love it. He could have left you hanging. God could have just said, submit. But no, he gives us reasons. So let's think of some reasons why we are to do this. They're all good reasons. Number one, church leaders represent God. Number one, church leaders represent God. By the way, let me just say, there's confusion on this. There's various titles for pastors in your Bible. So when you see words like elder, overseer, bishop, pastor, those are not different groups of people. <laughs> okay. Please understand, it's all referring to the same office in the church. It's just, they're telling you the different functions of that office. That officer is to carry on all these functions. So don't, don't confuse it. There, there's a lot of confusion on it. So these different titles, in other words, are interchangeable, referring to the same office. And these mature men are ordered by the Spirit of God than to rule over His church on earth until Jesus returns. After all, He's the head of the church. And He left us in charge, if you will. And so, you, you see a pattern in your, your New Testament. Let me, let, me, let me give you a pattern here. Okay, As these men traveled about the known world at that time. Paul and Barnabas, the Bible says, appointed elders in every church that they established. Read the book of Acts. You see them doing this, this very thing a lot. And so uh, then, then when, he, when he met Titus, the Bible says that Paul, the Apostle Paul, that has directed Titus to appoint elders in every city. That's the pattern. Every New Testament congregation had men who ruled over them. That is God's model. And so what did they do? They were, they were there to feed and lead the flock of God. But sadly, in many churches today, it doesn't, they're not doing that model, the biblical model. Too many churches have congregations ruling their leaders. Kind of like the tail wagging the dog, right? And so this sort of government, though, is something that's actually foreign in your Bible. Church leaders uh, are to be leaders. That's, that's, and so you get, you get one pendulum swing going way over here where 
the leaders aren't being leaders. The leaders are being led. The, the other pendulum swing the Bible warns us about is leaders becoming tyrants. Both are wrong. Both are wrong. They don't rule for themselves. The, these leaders rule for God. And the command, by the way, is unqualified. Obey your leaders and submit to them. It, it's, it's right under God to do this. They are to determine the direction of the church. They are to preside over and teach the word of God, reprove, rebuke, and exhort, Titus 2 says. The Apostle Peter said this, that the, that the pastor is to shepherd the flock of God. It's on the screen. Shepherd the flock of God, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness nor yet as lording it over those allotted to their charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. So pastors or elders are what? Under-shepherds. They are under-shepherds who are actually serving the chief shepherd. Hopefully they know that and live that way. So just as church leaders are to rule in love and humility... Guess what? Those under their leadership are also to submit in love and humility. I like the way the Apostle Paul said it in 1 Thessalonians 5. He says, We request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Jesus said it this way. Jesus says, He who receives whomever I send receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. That's from John 13. Did you, you understand what Jesus is saying there? That when a man is placed in the rule of a local church, that, that our submission and our obedience to that church leader is equivalent to the submission to Jesus Christ. Wow. Yeah. That's what Jesus is saying. And so when when you don't have that, what do you get? You've probably all been in churches where that's not happening. See, when you don't have spirit-filled leaders who are ruling well and 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 at the same time have submissive people who are following well, you end up with chaos. You end up with disunity in the church. And then that just opens the door to all kinds of problems in the church. If the church is even going to survive. Well, that's a good reason. Number two. Number two, true spiritual leaders are those who go before the flock into the Word of God, and into the Christian life. It's both. Let me explain. So, so the, there, there's been this great message in the book of Hebrews. The great message of Hebrews is that here's Jesus. Look at Him. He is the all-sufficient guide who leads us to God. He's our high priest. He's our sacrifice. He's, he's our all. And so as our Lord has appointed leaders in the church to guide us, uh, on our behalf, so so there you go. We 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 submit to the head of the church. 
And this is especially, by the way, linked to the idea of being persuaded. Because Christian leaders are guides into the Word of God. I I have nothing to say on my own. (laughs) Well, of any value to you, anyway. And so, uh, you, you should not say, well, you know, hey, I believe it because pastor says this, or I believe it because doctor uh, so-and-so said this, you know, and, and, and no. No, that's not the reason. You have been taught the Word of God, hopefully. Hopefully it was explained to you by your pastor, and therefore your conscience is now held captive to the Word of God. Therefore, I obey and submit. See the difference? Hopefully you do. And so tr- true leaders are, are ones who are leading, but because they're in the Word of God. And their Christian life is an example at the same time. Number three, a third reason we see is that we submit to church leaders because their authority is coming from Christ. Coming from the head of the church. It, it's, it's not an inherent authority, in other words. See, Ephesians Chapter 4, verse 11 tells us that the head of the church gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And so notice the authority is spiritual and moral. And so since Christian leaders, particularly the elders are called to serve the church, then we're to receive them as authorities established by Jesus himself. Number four. Moving on quickly. Leaders are, here's the fourth reason to submit to your pastor. Leaders are keeping watch over your souls. Let let me kind of illustrate it uh, this way. Uh, Some people have a security company to help them uh, protect their possessions. And when that uh, security company gives them advice about the security of you know, their house and belongings, the homeowner will, will usually obediently respond. <laughs> but the leaders mentioned in Hebrews, notice they watch over your very soul. They're gifted by God for the rule and and Christian teaching. Did you know that many church leaders lie awake at night? That's what it literally means in your text there when it says they keep watch. It's coming from that whole concept of a soldier who's supposed to be on watch, on guard duty. right? He's not supposed to be sleeping. He's supposed to be awake at night when everyone else is sleeping. And that, that, that is so true. Many pastors do lay awake at night or or, are often woken up and it can be a time of great prayer. But pastors, think about our spiritual well-being. We think about how we can help and how we can support the people whom we know. What better reason could there be for for us to gladly follow their teaching and their rule? They're watching for your soul. They're a shepherd. Number five, as under-shepherds, they must give an account to the chief shepherd, it says. They have to give an account. Everybody does. 
So they're not serving for their own benefit. They're serving for your benefit. They're called to give an account. You say, well, what does a pastor have to give an account for? Well, the priority of every pastor is to care for the spiritual welfare of your soul, of your being, of the congregation. And that, my friend, is a very sobering responsibility. Therefore, the appropriate response is to help them. And God says, how do you help them? Through your obedience and submission. They have to give an account. Number six, our obedience is what makes spiritual leadership a joy and not a burden. I hope you don't want to be a burden. One of the single greatest discouragements any pastor faces is a congregation that will not believe the Word of God. When the Word of God is taught, it's an encouragement to a pastor when, when a congregation and individuals in a congregation then submit to God. But when there's no submission, it's, oh, it's so discouraging. And the Apostle Paul understood this, and he, and he even wrote about it in the Bible. The Apostle Paul understood the response that pleases God and, and, and pleased the leaders to the Philippian Christians, the apostles said this, Philippians 1, verse 3, he said, I thank my God, look at this, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Why? Why? Always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. He had joy. And by the way, the, the, by the, way the reason was not that they were somehow inherently uh, a nicer group of people than the Corinthians. <laughs> uh, that, poor, that poor church gets picked on a lot, don't they? But, but why? They, they held to sound doctrine. The, the Philippian church was submissive to their leaders, and that was a joy. No doctrinal errors or rebelliousness is reflected anywhere in that letter. Very different from Corinthians. Uh, now, yeah, I know, those of you who know Book of Philippians will know there was a squabble going on between uh, Yodia and Syntyche. Yeah, I know. Uh, that's the only problem I'm aware of mentioned in that whole book. And so the, the suffering that Paul endured while serving with, with them was not caused by those ladies. But, but it, was, it was critics outside the church. And that sort of suffering simply added to his joy, in fact, in chapter 2, verse 17, look what Paul says. Even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all, and you too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Do you see the heart of a pastor? Spiritual leaders, by the way, we all know this, this is Hopefully, spiritual leaders know this too, but we're not infallible. We're not perfect. There are times when a church member is, by the way, there's certain, okay, lest I go off balance here, bear in mind, there, there are times when church members are justified in disagreeing with a pastor. Pastors are not Jesus Christ, they're not the head of the church. Um, even in accusing the leader of, a, uh, of sin, you need to be careful, though. 
yes, pastors sin. They, they need to be brought to justice, so to speak. But the Scripture gives very clear direction as to when and how that is to be done. God gives you instructions. In fact, listen to this, 1 Timothy 5. Here's what God says. Do not receive... I didn't put it up here, did I? Yeah, I did. Okay. God says, do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of one or, or, or sorry, two or three witnesses. Those who continue in sin rebuke, rebuke in the presence of all so that the rest also may be fearful of sinning. Obviously, pastors sin. There needed to be instruction on how to deal with church leaders who have sinned. There you go. But the attitude that God wants His people to have toward their pastors is basically this in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12. Look at this. There you go. That you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. Well, there's another one, another reason to do this. Number seven, it is no advantage to us for our ministers to be burdened by division and strife and unbelief in the church. No advantage to you. So God actually is telling you how to benefit yourself here. It's a massive blessing when you have a local church that is unified, has godly spiritual people. Each of us, by the way, plays a vital role in, in building up that kind of a body. The 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 chain is only as strong as his weakest, his weakest link, right? You're all part of that chain. You're part of that body. However, for members of the body to be in constant rebellion against their pastor prevents learning. It pro- prevents the proper growth of that body. It brings spiritual barrenness. And so th- this kind of an individual never brings joy to the pastor. It's hurtful. It's destructive. And so to cause our leaders grief is harmful. God says it's harmful not just for the pastor, but it's harmful for you. It's harmful to you as well as to the entire entire church body. God's saying it's unprofitable for you. So when we do not have a loving and obedient spirit, God is displeased. Our leaders are grieved. We lose our joy. Paul's joy... In faithful believers, did you notice that was always related to their joy? There's a connection there. And that's why in Philippians 2, Paul says, Rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. And so you're, you're never going to find a truly happy pastor apart from a happy congregation. Find a disunified, disgruntled, discontented church if they still have a pastor, he's not going to be happy. But a happy congregation and a happy pastor go together. You could say happy pastor, happy congregation. What a great combination. So that's duty number one. Submit to your pastor. But there's another concept in this passage. Pray for your pastor. Pray for your pastor. Whoever wrote the book of Hebrews, we know the Holy Spirit did, of course, is saying in verse 18, pray for us. Obviously, that's more than one person. And notice um, 
I like what John MacArthur said. John, John MacArthur says there's two reasons to do this, according to this text. Number one, prayer is deserved. Prayer is deserved. Because notice what verse 18 says. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. Wow, <laughs> that's awesome. So the writer here is asking for prayer because he was sure of a good conscience. Sounds like the Apostle Paul. By the way, some people say, whoa, whoa, man, what egotistical and arrogant person? Whoa. No. He's just simply saying that he administered to people faithfully. Of course, nobody, uh, you know, humanly speaking, has done this perfectly, but he was faithful. And so he not only needed their prayers, but he had actually earned their prayers. He had a right before God to expect them to pray for him. That's why prayer is deserved. See, he didn't simply imagine or suppose he had been faithful. He actually had a good conscience about this. And if a church leader can honestly say that and and is living that, then prayer is deserved on their behalf. But number two, a second reason is prayer is needed. Prayer is needed. Notice the most urgent need of the writer's mind here was that he might be restored to the congregation. Where is he? I don't know. But whatever the reason had been for his leaving them, notice this individual or individual or people here are anxious to return to the group of Hebrews. It's needed. Prayer is one of the greatest gifts, by the way, that you can give to a pastor. It should be obvious, but pastors cannot win the battle alone. Right? You know, in Ephesians 6, it talks about the church as a whole is is fighting together in this great spiritual warfare. The pastor is a part of the army. They need committed intercessors to lift them up in fervent, specific prayer. You say, why is that? Well, because a pastor's a sheep, just like you. Pastors are human beings. They're fallen human beings, just like you. And so, let me give you a list of ten ways that you can pray for your pastor. Whatever church you you go to, wherever you are, here's ten ways you can pray for your pastor. These are from various parts of scriptures, and I'm giving you the scriptures in your notes there. But number one, pray that your pastor will obey the greatest command, which is to love God with all of his heart, soul, mind, strength. In other words, his all. Every part of his being. Pray that he's going to value and, and follow God's priorities in his life. Here's the number one priority according to Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. That's the greatest priority for all of us. So please pray that. Number two, pray your pastor will grow strong character in uncompromising integrity. Pray that his testimony will be godly and Christ-like. Because notice what 1 Timothy 1.5 says here. The aim of our charge is love. Where does this come from? 
It's issuing from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Wow, those are three powerful truths right there. Three things to pray for. A pure heart, good conscience, sincere faith. You will bless your pastor if you pray for those things. Number three, pray for his personal walk with God. Pray that his soul and his spirit is going to be nourished and strengthened. His soul will be fed, particularly during his quiet time with God. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Do your best to prevent, or present, sorry. Wow, that's a different word, isn't it? Present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Pastors hopefully want their best to be presented to God. Well, much could be said about each one of these, but uh, I'm just kind of introducing you to some, some things that are dear to my heart here. Number four, number four is pray that your pastor will counsel and teach with discernment. And, and, and doing that through the wise use of Scripture. Because look what James 1, 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Pastors are hopefully often using the Word of God in counseling and teaching. They need to know God's wisdom. Number five, ask God to protect your pastor's marriage. That God will make it a strong marriage, not, not just for the sake of those individuals, but it should be a model of Christ's relationship to the church, like all marriages, by the way. <laughs> Why do you think Satan's attacking marriage so strongly? Attack the physical representation of the greater reality of Christ and His bride. So Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. So, Pray your pastor will cherish his wife and lead his wife. Those are the two great responsibilities there, to cherish and lead his wife. Number six, pray for your pastor's children. They often get neglected. Uh, Particularly and especially that the, the pressures of ministry will not destroy the pastor's family. It happens way too much. Too many PKs, as they're called, the pastor's kids, become bitter, become angry and discouraged, and become atheist even because of what they see happening to their father. Sad. And so Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So pray that that will happen. Number seven, ask God to guard the pastor's heart. That's so important. Pray your pastor will actually use discernment in life outside of being with you, right? Uh, there's, there's so many things. The use of social media, the, the use of the Internet. Uh, uh, pray that he will be morally pure and that he will actually put on the armor of God, stand strong in the Lord, and not fall into sexual temptation. Too many pastors are doing that. And so Ephesians 6 reminds us to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. 
The devil wants to take down leaders. Too many are falling. Number eight, pray your pastor will be humble. Pray your pastor will be humble, not proud. I like what the prophet Micah says here in chapter 6, verse 8. He says, he has told you, old man, what is good? Good. What's good? What does God say is good? I like this. What does the Lord require of you? Oh, yeah, I want to know. Do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Wow, that's what God requires? Those are good things to pray for. Number nine, pray that He will make godly decisions. Pray that He will lead with a shepherd's heart, not a tyrant's heart. Pray He will always speak the truth in love. He'll be like Jesus in John 1, right? Full of grace and truth. Uh, Too many pastors are, well... None of us are balanced like Jesus. Let's just put it that way, right? None none of us are full of grace and truth. We're either a grace person or a truth person. Uh, Both of them are can go too far. So pray for the right balance there. Because Peter says this, chapter 5, verse 2, he says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, but notice it's not under compulsion, but you do it willingly as God would have you, not for shameful game, but eagerly. There's a good balance. And the last one is pray for courageous preaching. Pray for courageous preaching. You say, well, doesn't that come naturally? No, it's not natural. It's not natural. Have any of you ever tried to get up to preach? Even the Apostle Paul says this in Colossians 1.28. Look what he says here. Christ we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's a good summation of courageous preaching right there. But to talk about Jesus, to talk about sin, to talk about hell, that takes courage from God. That doesn't come easy. Because what? What did the Bible say? That the the cross is foolishness. Talking about a dead Savior is foolishness. It takes courage to, to mention all of those things. It's much easier to just get up and say, you can have your best life now. Right? That that's far easier. And so let me just uh give you a, a, a warning here because I have the same heart you do, the same mind you do, I understand the temptation. Because now that we're being led solely by a labor government for the next three years, I fully expect to be thrown in prison within the next three years. Okay? This is what I expect. I hope it doesn't happen. But if it is God's will, then so be it. Because... If, if your head is stuck in the sand, you're missing something, okay? Because around the world, the UN is spreading their worldview that sermons are hate speech. In fact, did any of you read? I just read this week. Norway. Anybody read about the law from Norway? Usually the Scandinavian countries pick up on what the UN wants them to do. And then the UK is going to be passing the same law very soon. And we tend to follow what the UK does, don't we? Right? 
So here, here's, what, here's what's happening. Here, here's what Norway passed, and this is coming, it's coming to New Zealand. So Norway passed that um, the cult of transgenderism has now taken over, where even in your private home, you cannot say anything negative about a person's choice. Whatever sex they want to be, whatever their gender wants to be, their sexual orientation, you can't say anything about their biology because biology doesn't matter anymore. You understand that. It's not about your biology and how God made you. And so even in your private home, Norway has now said you will go to jail for one year. If you sit, you know, all those listening devices that we buy and put in our homes, your smartphone, your Alexa, your Siri on your phone is listening, and they're going to hear it, and you'll go to jail. Norway also passed, if you dare say this in public, you deny, you talk about biology, and you deny that person's right to be whatever they want to be, you go to jail for three years. It's coming to New Zealand. The madness is spreading. It's just like what God said, Right? Everybody does what's right in their own eyes. And so, I'm just telling you, I need prayer. <laughs> Pastors need prayer, right? You want to see what this looks like? Just study China. Probably the most totalitarian state with, with super surveillance happening in the country of China. It's happening. It's coming to New Zealand. And we need to, we need to be ready. You need to be ready to go to jail. You need to be ready to suffer in this way, just as some of these people were doing. Pray for courageous preaching. Anyway, I, I could talk a long time on this one. I'll, I'll just stop there, okay? Because I'm reading a book right now called Live Not By Lies, talking about how totalitarian states are just, they're taking us. So we need prayer. All of us need prayer. Your leaders need prayer. Please do so. So there's your, your duties. God gave you two. You submit to your leaders. You pray for your leaders. May God enable you to do that. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for the book of Hebrews and, and for the examples we've seen here. People have gone through good and bad times, but may we not forget there is our great high priest who intercedes and prays for us, who knows our weaknesses. He knows we are but dust. He, he, he knows he's lived here amongst us. And he, he reigns forever now. And he is praying for us. He continues to pray. We're thankful for that ongoing ministry. But we have duties. We've seen these duties. May we obey. Enable us to obey. To submit and pray for our church leaders. May we understand the importance of this. And and, and the reasons you've given us here for doing this. All great reasons. Thank you for doing that as well. And so, would you give us unity? Give us love and, and grace and goodness within our own body. There are difficult days ahead. The times are getting worse, as you said they would, up to your coming. It's just going to get worse and worse and worse. And may we stand strong. May we... Be strong in the Lord. May we have the armor protecting not just us individually, but may we 
think of ourselves as a fighting unit. We, we are an army together. We're not alone. Thank you for that, those encouraging words from Ephesians 6. And we, we live in that light until you return. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.